Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. Guys, we're going to jump right into our message this morning. I'm excited for this message. I'm excited for every message. I can't believe, sometimes I have to pinch myself. I get to wake up every Sunday morning and I, 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 I get to wake up and I get to dive into the Word of God with people. That is such an amazing, amazing privilege. And we get to learn together. We get to walk out of this room more like who Jesus is. We get to let the power of the Holy Spirit transform our lives. This is an amazing thing. And I love the Word of God. We're in Nehemiah chapter 6. We're going to be looking at 10 through 14, four verses. Let's look at it real quick. Later, I went to visit Shemaniah, son of Deliah, grandson of Mehetabel, who was confined to his home. He said, let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. So whenever the Bible starts repeating itself relatively quickly to itself, like, like in the same verse or in the same sentence, it repeats twice, you got to stop and look at that. Because that's one of the things when, when you're studying your Bible, when you start noticing repetition, Okay, what is it repeating and why is it repeating? Nehemiah asks the question, should someone in my position do that twice? That could seem like a very arrogant thing. We're going to talk about that here in a moment. But there's a reason. I realized that God had not spoken to him. This is supposed to be a prophet. I say prophet loosely. It's supposed to be a prophet of God. But I realized that God had not spoken to him but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sam Ballot had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin. Then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. Remember, oh my God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sam Ballot had done. And remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. If I were to give this message a title, it would be my position. Because in order to understand our position, we need to understand who placed us in that position. And when we understand who's placed us in our position, that makes discerning people talking about our position all the easier. And if you look at Nehemiah's statement, should someone in my position go to the temple and lock the door? Should someone in my position run? If you look at that, it sounds very arrogant. Like, my position, you know. But it was an arrogant statement. you got to understand, Nehemiah was in a place where God has placed him. He became the governor of Judah. He was placed there for a reason, and for a season. And you also have to understand that if Nehemiah would have ran to the temple, even though the temple was in Jerusalem where he was stationed and positioned, 
If he would have ran to the temple and locked himself in and barred the doors, that would have been essentially the same thing as Edward VII did in the 1940s or 1930s when he abdicated the throne of England. It would have been an abdication of his right, his power, and his position. And if he would have done that, Sam Ballot, who was the governor of Samaria, could have stepped in and said, look, your leader is hiding He's given up his power and authority. Now I'm your governor. And Sam Ballot would have had legal reason to step in to take the position that God placed Nehemiah in. So it wasn't an arrogant thing for him to say, should someone in my position, because he knew his position. Do we know our position? Do we know who we are? Do we know where God's placed us? So the first thought I want to leave you with today is know your position. Know your position. Nehemiah understood his position, and he understood what the enemy was trying to do. This prophet of God, it sounded like good advice. I mean, if someone is coming to kill you, it's not, bad idea to, it's not a bad idea to, lo- to, to, to lock yourself into a very secure building. I mean, that that's, doesn't sound like a bad idea. But when you understand your position, last week we hit on this. If God's placed you somewhere, it's going to be God that removes you from that position. And, and, and sometimes we remove ourselves from that position by thinking about ourselves and not about God and what God wants. If Nehemiah went to that position, he would have removed himself from that, that position. But that wasn't for him. So when I think of positions, I, 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 I instantly go to my basketball heritage. How many of you guys are basketball fans? Yeah, so about half. So I'm going I'm to educate you about basketball for a moment, and you guys are going to get a glimpse into my, in, 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 into my, uh, into my head because I think of positions, I think in terms of basketball. I don't really know a lot about other sports. I played tennis in high school. I played tennis and I ran track, and, and, and I did all that to help me be better at basketball. I really did. Every sport that I played in high school, I used to make me better at basketball because that was my passion. That was my heart. I love basketball. Well, in basketball, there's five positions on the court. There is a point guard, there's a shooting guard, there's a small forward, there's a power forward, and then there's a center. The point guard is the, usually the shortest guy. Um, and in the NBA, if you watch, like the short guys on the court are actually my height. So it's just kind of funny. <laughs> Like, I watched Steve Nash play one time, and I was like, dude, he's so short out there, and he's actually 6'4". He's two inches taller than me. And it's, 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 it's funny because the NBA, they have such tall centers and power forwards. They're like 7'5 and everything. But um, I played a power forward. I was a small power forward. And, um, but that was my role in basketball. In, in high school, I played a center. So I was not like a, a point guard. He's kind of like the coach on the court. He calls the plays out. He sees whether they're running man-to-man or a, or a zone defense, and, and he starts calling plays accordingly. And then the shooting guard helps the point guard bring the ball up the court. And then the small forward is kind of there to alleviate. If those two can't bring the ball up the court, the small forward will jump up. And if the three of them can't bring the ball up the court, then my position, the power forward, will jump up and alleviate. If I got past the ball at the top of the three-point line towards half court, between the three-point line and half court, know what I did with it? I turned around and I started, no, I didn't start dribbling. I held that. I am not a guard. Like I can dribble. 
but man, those little guards have such quick hands and feet, and they would steal the ball from me. And I didn't want to make it look, I didn't want to look like an idiot. So I would triple thread it or I would chin it. And I would hold it until my point guard could come to get the ball from me. So so I, I would do this. So I would not look like an idiot or turn the ball over. And a lot of times during a, in college basketball, when they were pressing, my point guard would have to get like, like that close to me, and I would hand him the ball. And then I would back up to give him space so he can get around. Because he, he's used to dribbling with all the pressure on him. But I knew my position. The position of a power forward really is not to score. Like, I did score, but that really wasn't my role. If someone's going to score down low, it's going to be the center. They're usually the biggest people on your team. And um, my, goal, my goal was really just to rebound. My goal as a power forward was to get rebounds. I did score, and it's not the, to say that there weren't plays where, that were set up for the power forward to score, but I had to know my position. And, and everyone, everyone knew their position. The basketball team's goal is to win the game. They want to protect the ball when they're bringing it up the court. They want to, they want to make good, precise passes. They, they, but in order for any play to work, everyone has to be in their position. They had to know their position. In order for the play to work. If I was out in the wing at the three-point line, that's not my position. I'm supposed to be down by the goal. That's my position. I'm supposed to be running all around in, in, inside the paint. That's my position. And every now and then the play would require me to run outside and catch a pass. But when I caught the pass outside the three-point line, I instantly held it. And I looked for that opening to pass it off. Because the coach didn't want me shooting threes. The coach didn't want me dribbling up there. The coach wanted me to make good, smart passes. Every now and then I have to take a couple of dribbles to make a pass, not to say that I was incompetent at dribbling, but I knew my position. My position wasn't a shooting guard. My position wasn't the point guard. In order for the team to work, everyone had to fulfill their position. If I try to take over the, the, the shooting guard's position or the point guard's position, number one, my coach would yank me out of the game, and then he would speak very encouraging and loving words into my life. <laughs> and it would sound something to the effect of, Ryan, you know that's not your position, buddy. Just have a seat and grab some water. <laughs> Didn't sound like that at all. But he would pull me out of the game because I wasn't in my position. And I actually, by not being in my position, I was hurting the team. But if, I, if everyone plays their position... It helps the team achieve the goal. Nehemiah understood something about his position. It wasn't about him. Nehemiah's position as governor of Judah was not about Nehemiah. It was about building the wall and helping the people. He knew his position. And it sounded like a smart idea to run to the temple, especially if your life's threatened. But if he would have ran to the temple, the very thing he would have tried to save, he would have lost. He would have tried to save his life, he would have been killed. And he would have tried to save his position, it would have been taken from him. And to quote the great theologian, 
Ben Herzog, he gave me some advice once. And he said, in ministry, do ministry like this, with open hands. Because ministry is like sand. The tighter you squeeze it, the faster you lose it. And I've thought about that, and I've thought about that. And your position that God's placed you in, don't do this, because number one, it's not your position. It's God's position that he placed you in to fulfill. And if you try to hold on to that position, you try to hold tight to that position, it's going to be taken from you. As soon as you make it yours, but if you, if, you, if you do it and say, God, I want what you want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you. That means God can take this out, and he can put that in. He can take this out. And, and I, I notice that when we do, do life like this, Nehemiah was doing this. I know my position, and if God wants me to, to, to leave it, I'll leave it. But it's going to be God that makes me leave it, not the enemy. And I'm going to do, do it like this. Because the tighter we squeeze, the faster we lose it. Nehemiah if he would have ran to the temple, that would have been him going, I got to hold on to my position. I got to hold on to the power and authority. I got to do this. And I would challenge you to know your position. And, okay, so say you know your position. But how do we position ourselves in our position? That's the next question. How do we position ourselves in the position that God has for us? Because Nehemiah says, a man in my position, I can't do that. How do we position ourselves? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to demonstrate something for you. And I almost, I thought about going and changing into practice gear for this next illustration. Because I haven't tried it in these pants. And if they tear, I expect every one of you to laugh. And so, but Nathan, I, I need you to come up here, man. I would use Jackson, but that wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be, a, it wouldn't be an accurate representation. Nathan is bigger than I am, taller than I am, and more handsome than me. And so, but in basketball, in, we can position ourselves to receive in our position. And as a power forward, my job was to get rebounds. And a lot of people have this misconception about rebounding that is wrong. Because you think that you jump for the rebound. You don't jump. You might jump right before the ball gets to you, but that's after you fight for position. You have to fight for position. And I, I got to tell you, I've never walked onto a basketball court and I thought, there's no opposition to my position. There is always going to be opposition to your position. If God's placed you somewhere, there's opposition to that position. And sometimes you have to fight to get your blessing. Sometimes you have to fight to stay in your position. And, and, and the same is true in basketball. I had to fight to receive the ball on a rebound. I, 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 was, I was a power forward. I got knocked around. I got stitches in my face from elbows. I got bruised ribs. I, I broke my MCL trying to get rebounds. I, I, like, it's a fight. And the enemy is really good. So I, I, need, I need you to kind of get like this. And so, and say the goal's right there. 
and I, you got to try to keep me from getting in front of you. Like, don't, don't try too hard, because you actually probably could. Um, but, uh, so, I'm going to try to get in front of you. And he's trying to block me out. The enemy does this. He tries to block us from our blessing. He tries to block us from our position. It's coming. It's coming. Your blessing's coming. What God has for you is coming. And, and, and where God's positioned you is in front of your enemy. Nehemiah knew his position. And by running to the temple, he would have pulled himself out of his position. He would have let the enemy block him out. But whenever my enemy would do this in basketball, I would usually hook him and I would rotate. I would get in front of him. And I would, I would, it's fat. You got to be fast on your feet. You got to quit, think quick. And you, and then, and a lot of people think that that is this and it's upper body. No, you use your derriere in basketball. You push and you push and you push and you push and you push back. And, and the whole time the enemy is trying to do that same spin move. Try to get in front of me. Try to get in front of He's trying to push. You got to, you got to guard. You got to guard. You got to move your feet. And sometimes you got to guard, you got to move your feet. Did you rip your pants? Oh, oh good. Not yet. Okay. Woo. But sometimes, sometimes you got to take, when the enemy's like that, it, it, it might just be just a fast, a fast motion. Get in front of him. Then get your guard up. Defense in basketball is a lot of getting down low and getting out wide, getting your hands up. You don't get rebounds with your hands down here. You don't get the ball. Thank you. Everyone give Nathan. Nathan is a soccer player by trade, so he could probably outmaneuver me with footwork any day of the week. But that's a block out. You get low. You get wide. You get in your position, and you don't let the enemy move you from your position. You don't, you don't, you don't get it. The ball with your hands down low. Get it without, with your hands out here. And guys, I want to teach you another move. It's a move, it's called a block out. But you can use it in spiritual warfare. And it's very similar. Get down low. Get your hands up. And this is how you fight to keep in your position that God's placed you in. It's through prayer and praise. The enemy is constantly trying to get you out of your position. He's constantly trying to remove you from the blessing that God has for you. He's constantly trying to block out the blessing. Nehemiah was a blessing to the people. Nehemiah was feeding 150 people a day at his table. Nehemiah led by example by building the wall, working on the wall. Nehemiah was a great leader. Nehemiah was a blessing. And in turn, God blessed him. God blessed his efforts. God supplied all the funds that he needed to build the wall. God supplied everything for Nehemiah to do his position, to walk in his calling. But if Nehemiah would have let the enemy position him out, push him out. Because sometimes the enemy doesn't look like the enemy. Sometimes it looks like something friendly. Sometimes it, like, 
there are te- there are guys that I played against in high school. They were my friends off the court. But when we got on the court, I didn't see a friend. I saw an enemy. And and whenever I stepped onto the court, I, I tell students this all the time, especially athletes that I had as students. But they would walk around and they would say, like, man, they're so good. They're six inches taller than me. I'm like, dude, I was a 6'2 power forward that was 210 pounds in, in college. Every other person in my position was at least Ben's height and had about 50 pounds on me of muscle. I was shorter, smaller, not as good looking. I had a lot of things working against me when I stepped on the court. They even had more facial hair. I mean, it's... But when we step on the court, our mind is everything. Our mind is everything. And I told them, I said, you're going to lose tonight. They're like, how do you know that? You're walking in defeated. You're stepping on the court like, I can't out-rebound that. They would say that before the game. I'm like, you're not going to out-rebound them either. You're not going to get any shots over them like, why would you say that, Pastor Ryan? Because you just said that to me. I said, I'm just agreeing with you. And they're like, what? You're not supposed to agree with me? I'm like, well, if you believe that, that's what's going to happen. When you step on the court, whether it be true or not, there is this magical switch that goes off. I always stepped on the court and says, I might not be the best player on this court, well, I'm going to be the best power forward on this court. Whether it be true or not, I would tell myself, I'm going to be the best. I'm going to get more rebounds than the opposing power forward. I'm going to knock him down. I'm going to bruise his ribs. I'm going to do everything. I'm not saying I play dirty, but I'm just saying sometimes elbows were involved and thumbs were involved. I mean, like we did everything we could to fight for the position. We, and we would do it in such ways that the ref didn't see it. But there is no... This, this is a cool thing. In, in, the, in the battle of life, there are no referees. When you're dealing with your enemy, you fight dirty. You know how you fight dirty? <laughs> you call. <laughs> you get down on your hands and knees because he can't stand up to the authority of Christ in you. He can't. It's a trump card every time. You might say, There's opposition to my position. I thought by walking and operating in my position, there wouldn't be any opposition. I would say if you're walking and operating next to God, there's going to be more opposition. I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm, going, to, read, I'm going to read the 23rd Psalm. I, I entered it. Let's, let's, let's read it real quick. The Lord is my shepherd. I like nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me in the along this right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk, everyone stop for a moment. Everyone say, even though. though. Turn and tell your neighbor, even though. Turn and tell your second choice, even though. They're equally important though, you know what I'm saying? Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy 
will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Not every position has equal responsibility, but every position is equally important, and every position is equally valid. So the Lord might have positioned you in a place of leadership. Serve humbly, go after Jesus, and fulfill the duties of your position. The Lord might have positioned you in the place of obscurity and no one knows or sees what you're doing behind the scenes. Serve humbly, go after Jesus, and fulfill, fulfill the roles and the duties of your position. Nehemiah and David both got something in knowing their position. It's something quite interesting. But David said, even though you position me, at a table in the presence of my enemies. I want you to, to, to think about that. You, you prepare a table before me, the presence of my enemies. Like, this is, what, this is God doing this. This is not the enemy preparing the table. God prepared the table. God pulled out the chair and he says, hey, I made a table for you. Guess what? I invited all your enemies And there's always opposition to your position. Our challenge in knowing our position is knowing that God's prepared that for us. And guess what? I love the fact that God waited till David was surrounded by enemies before he anointed. You would think that the green pastures and the still waters would have been a nice spot to anoint. You would think like, okay, God, this is where I need your anointing and your presence in my life. Everything's going good. Everything's going great. Everything's amazing. But God waits to anoint until we're surrounded. God waits to seat us in the presence of our enemies. Then he anoints our head with oil. And then goodness and mercy will follow. Notice what David didn't say. He didn't say, well, I struck up a conversation with the guy over here. I struck up a conversation with my enemy over here. Because our enemies take a lot of different forms. Insecurity, depression, um, um, sexual addiction, addiction. Uh, oh, what, what, what's, what's another one? Insecurity, inadequacy, uh, pornography. Our enemies take a lot of different, maybe it's an unhealthy relationship. Maybe, ooh. Maybe it's, I don't know, an abusive relationship. Maybe it's a past hurt that you can't forgive. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Maybe it's bitterness. Our enemies take a lot of different forms. But God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And then he anoints us stare at him and say, God, I might be surrounded by enemies, but I'm going to look at you because you're anointing me for this. If God's placed you there, you might seem overwhelming in your own strength, but believe me, in your weakness, there is strength. We talked about that last week. So God's anointed you to go through your position. Know your position because God's placed you in your position. There will always be opposition to your position, but God has you through your opposition, and he's anointing you through the opposition. You could turn, 
I, I, I kind of see it. You know, God prepared a table before David. I could kind of see it. I see David turning and looking at his, his enemy, saying, hey, can you pass the entree? How about, you tell, how about you tell your own forgiveness to pass the forgiveness over in the name of Jesus? I'm sick of letting you control my life. It's time that I control you. That's the anointing that God gives us. That's the anointing that comes with knowing our position. But it starts with the even though. Everyone, we said even though. This is a separation. This is a separation between heartfelt praise and praise when everything's good. It's the even though praise that grows our faith. It's the even though praise that sees us through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the even though praise that gets us through the position when we're surrounded by our enemies. Because God might seat you in the presence of your enemy, but that's not as great as the presence of God seated in me. And so here's the deal. God, <laughs> God has placed the power that rose Christ from the dead in you. And he has authority and power in you. And he's placed his Holy Spirit in you. So because of the Holy Spirit at work in us, we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Even though I've gone through depression, I'm going to praise God. Even though I'm hurting, I'm going to praise God. Even though I lost, I'm going to praise God. Even though I felt, I'm going to praise God. It's the even though praise that brings us closer to God. Everyone can worship God when everything's going good. Every, it's easy. But are we having moments of even though praise? That's what God wants to get us out of us. Everyone wants the, the green pastures and the still waters. But do we have the even though moments? Because Nehemiah knew what it meant to have even though moments. He was constantly threatened. He was constantly attacked. Everything was going against him. And he said, even though, even the prophets are prophesying against me, even though. I will not run from my position. God's placed me here. Do we have even though praise? When we know the place that God placed us, it's easy to have even though praise. The second thought I want to leave with you is know who's talking. Know who's talking. Nehemiah understood a few things. Nehemiah understood what it meant to pray. Nehemiah understood his position, where God has placed him. And Nehemiah understood what God's voice sounded like. May I submit to you that because of Nehemiah's prayer life, he could recognize the difference between God speaking to him and the enemy speaking to him. And I would say time with God directly affects your proximity to God which directly affects your intimacy with God. If you're not spending time with God, you're going to believe any and everything that comes down your way. You're going to believe any and every little thing you see on Facebook or on the internet or what people tell you. You're just going to believe, oh, that must be a word from God. If you're not spending time with God, you're not going to know God's voice. And you're not going to have a close relationship with God. You're not going to have proximity to God. And when you don't have proximity to God, you're not going to have intimacy with God. Ben and I had the honor of playing basketball at Central Bible College. And 
in the basketball scene at Central Bible College, we would get up stupid early and go down and practice before class. And then, and then we would take, and after class, in the evenings, we would go and practice some more. And what would, what would happen was we would practice like 20 hours a week or more. But what that did was we constantly heard the same person call out to us. His name was Kirk Hansen, and he was our coach. And we constantly heard his voice. He's the second most winningest coach in Missouri history. He has an amazing, amazing track record of winning. He has over 700 wins, probably close to 800 wins by the time he retired. And um, he had this amazing ability to coach basketball. But because we are always around Coach Hansen, we heard his voice all the time, all the time. And it was always encouraging things like, Brian, you're doing such a good job, man. Way to pass that ball. You really nailed that bounce. No, it wasn't like that. It was like, Dad Nabbit, Ryan, get off the court. You're bleeding everywhere. You know, there was times where I, just got, I got hit in the face once and I had to get six stitches under my right eye. That's that scar. My best friend did that to me in basketball in a practice. And I remember thinking my eyeball fell out because when I reached up and I grabbed my face, it was swelled out like this. And I thought, my eyeball is in my hand. And I couldn't see anything because I covered my vision with my hand. So I'm th- and I'm just combobulated. So I'm like, oh, no, because it hurt that much. And, and all I hear was the caring, loving voice of my my coach, out of all the confusion and all the dazing and almost being knocked out, I hear, and I wanted to fight my friend, but I'm pretty sure I couldn't walk straight at that point. And um, he, all I heard was, Dad, never, Ryan, you're getting blood all over the court. Get off the court, you know, and this loving, caring, like he didn't want anyone else to slip on the blood that was squirting out of my face. And, uh, <laughs> but I, I could recognize his voice. Because there were games, we had a lot of regional championship games. We never won the national championship. We came in third my senior year, but um, we won a lot of regional championships. And and there were games against our rival, BBC, which is Baptist Bible College. We were, we were CBC, they were BBC, and we, like, we had a rivalry. I'm talking... Like, there were times where the CBC students would bring a coffin into the game and then dress as a patriot, which was their, um, which was their mascot, and we would have a funeral for their team. Because, like, that's how much we did not like each other. And, and we would chant stuff like this at our basketball games. We have spirit. Yes, we do. <laughs> we have spirit. How about you? Well, they're a Baptist Bible college, and they didn't chant back. <laughs> we're, we're the assemblies of God. Ba- you know, like, we... We had this amazing rivalry, but with that, it would be deafening sometimes. It would be so deafening in the gym. Like you couldn't hear your own thoughts. You would just be, ah. And you could hear the air horns, the clappers, just the, the people going crazy. But out of all that, you could hear, run flat! That was our, that was one of our, uh, Plays that most common play that we played, but in all in in all the noise, you couldn't hear anything. You could hear his voice. You could recognize his voice because of time with him, because of proximity to him. I wouldn't necessarily say intimacy with him, but you could recognize his voice. 
and it would give us direction for what we needed to run. And Nehemiah spent enough time with God to where when all the noise were coming from the threats, from the insults, from the false prophecies that are coming against him, he could say, you know what? I know that you're saying this is God, but that really sounds like Sam Ballot. That really sounds like the enemy in my soul. That really sounds, and this is why it's so important that we spend time with God so we get closer to God, so we grow intimate with God, because I don't care if someone says, thus saith the Lord before or after, if it doesn't line up with the word of God, it's not God. And how do we know what God's word says? By spending time with God, spending time with God in his word, by building a close relationship with him, because we gotta we gotta recognize who's talking. Because if the we gotta guard ourselves. The Bible says if we're immature and we're just constantly drinking milk, if this is the only thing you're getting a week, you're gonna be blown to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You're gonna be saying, Hey, this is a horrible translation of the Bible one week, and this is a great translation of the Bible the next week. Because you're not spending time with God. You're gonna be blown back and forth all the time by the winds of doctrine. Nehemiah wasn't shaken because he knew it's talking. And he said, that's not God. I know what God's voice sounds like. And that's not it. Because Nehemiah spent time with God, which led to intimacy with God. When Amy and I first started dating, we started on Facebook Messenger. And a lot of you guys have heard the story. I'm not going to rehash the whole thing, but there was time spent. There were times where I would just hold my phone and wait for the notification bell. That's how desperate I was. I was like, has she texted me yet? Uh, she might not like me. Oh, there it is. Or I would, I would wait and wait and wait and wait and then realize my notifications were turned off. And she already sent me like five messages and she's probably over there waiting and waiting. No, she probably is like, I don't care. Um, but that conversation that time with each other, and, the, and those, those moments on the phone where like, no, you hang up first. No, you hang up. I never said that to Amy because the one time I said it to Amy, I was like, no, you hang up first. She was like, click. You know, like it was like, <laughs> so I, said, I had to start thinking to like, uh, how, can I, how can I keep her on the phone longer without saying, no, you hang up first because she had no heart. She's like, nah, all right, see ya. You know, she didn't even say bye. Click. He told me to, you know, like, um, but it led to conversation, which led to time, took up time, which led to proximity. There were times that I would drive up to Missouri an hour and a half away after work, and I would stay there, um, and just, um, and then I would get back home at like 2.30 in the morning, and then I'd get up at 6 a.m. to go to work because I wanted to have a relationship with my wife. And, and that, that time spent with her led to proximity with her. Before we ever got engaged, I, I resigned my position because I knew this is, a, this is my future. This is God's will for my life. So I resigned the position where I was at the church. I resigned my position. I talked to the pastor. He knew. He knew, like, yeah, you, you need to go up there. So I went and got an apartment in Springfield, Missouri, before we were ever engaged. And I lived there, and I helped in her youth group. She lived with her. Uh, we didn't live together. We didn't shack up or anything. Um, I had my own apartment. But I did that for three months before we were ever engaged because I wanted to have proximity to her. Proximity to her 
led to engagement, which led to marriage, which led to a close relationship. And now I can recognize Amy's voice in a dead sleep. It usually sounds like, Ryan, you're snoring so loud. I can hear that out of a dead sleep and roll over because I know her voice. In the midst of Walmart, I know her voice. She could say, Ryan, I could, okay, my wife is calling me. I know, I know her voice. God wants to have that with us. He wants us to know his voice like Nehemiah knew his voice. So when someone claims speaking for God speaks against us, we could say, no, that's not God. It might be a hard conversation because this person was supposed to be a prophet of God and he's prophesying against Nehemiah. Like, how do you call out a leader that's claiming to speak for God? Nehemiah's like, I'll do it. (laughs) Nominate me. I got it. You're not speaking for God. But he knew God so well that he could recognize it instantly. I would challenge us, if you don't have that time with God, carve time for God. There, there will never be a perfect time. Like, something is going to have to be sacrificed. There's always a time sacrifice. That's the one commodity we never get back on while we're living in this flesh is time. And if you want, you say, man, I, just, I need to do something, just do it. Because too many Christians go day after day and never spend time with God because they don't make time for God. God always has time for you. There's not a wrong time to meet with God. Some people say, it has to be in the morning, or I want to start my day off right. Well, then eat Wheaties. Like, (laughs) there's not a wrong time to meet with God. If it's mornings for you, let it be mornings. But if it's the evening, let it be evenings. If it's lunch, let it be lunch. If it's the drive to work, let it be the drive to work. What I'm getting at is just make time. Because when you make time, you're going to grow closer. It's just going to happen. The Bible says in James, when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. He, he can't help it. But it's making the time. Something will have to be sacrificed. It might be that radio show that you listen to on the way to work. It might be watching that movie every night before you go to bed. It might be sleep. Oh, no, not sleep. We can't sacrifice sleep. I guarantee you, if you make time for God and sacrifice sleep, God will give you the energy to make it through the day. I just, I guarantee it. I've seen it too often in my own life play out. But make time. Make time. The average Christian prays less than two minutes a day. How can we have a relationship with God? That's not a relationship. That's just a check-in. I stand more than two minutes a day at that corner down by the square waiting on the light to change so I could walk across the road. I just hit a button. You treat God like a crosswalk. Just make time. If I want to spend time with my, my wife, that means sometimes I have to turn the TV off. If I want to spend time with my kids, that means I have to turn something off. I have to get up and go do. There's always a time sacrifice. 
It's where are you investing your time? And I guarantee you, if you invest your time into God, that is something that you will get the best investment back. It is. Know who's talking to you. And the only way you know who's talking to you is by the time we spend with God. Spend time in his word. Spend time listening for his voice. Spend time learning his voice. Learn his voice. The last thought I want to give with you is know who is listening. When Nehemiah prayed, when Nehemiah prayed, he knew who was listening. He saw God move way too many mountains. He saw God move way too many obstacles. He heard God way too much to know that God wasn't listening. Nehemiah, almost every chapter leading up to this chapter, Nehemiah has stopped and prayed, sometimes multiple times in a chapter. And do we know who's listening? Because sometimes I feel like we pray and we ask the question, God, are you listening? Nehemiah knew who was listening. And when my coach yelled, at the team from the sidelines, he knew who was listening, and he knew who would respond. The other team wouldn't respond. We would respond. But my coach knew who was listening. And when we pray, do we know who's listening? My daughter, she's getting to where she sleeps through the night. But I could tell you this. She knows that daddy listens for her. I listen for her. My son, too, when he takes naps, I I listen. If I hear the rustling of the covers, I know that he might be moving. I'll pop my head in the door to make sure he's not sitting up on the bed. I listen because I want what's best for my children. I listen because I don't want my son to roll off the bed. I listen because I don't want my daughter to be scared. My daughter, my daddy. And it's so weird. There are times where I've woke up in my daughter's room in the morning with my phone because my alarm's set on my phone. And I wake up and I've looked around I'm like, where in the world am I? Like, I, <laughs> I had no idea how I made it into her room. But because evidently I heard my daughter go, Daddy! And my wife was like, yeah, she called for you and you got up and went. I thought you woke up. It was a response. It was a reflex. It was just what I did. When I called out, or when my daughter called out, I just went. I just went. That's what God does. That's what God does. When we call out, God just goes. We don't have to worry about we don't have to worry about the enemy. We don't have to worry about the enemy um, interfering. We don't have to worry about who's listening. We don't have to worry about any of that because God hears us and he responds. What I do with my daughter is I go in there and I say, it's okay, sissy. And that's sometimes all I have to say and she just lays back down. She goes to sleep, and a peace comes over her. 
because she knows when she calls out, Daddy's listening. When we call out, do we know who's listening? Nehemiah knew who's listening. He said, God, remember, oh my God, the enemy that's trying to smear my name. Remember the attacks of the enemy. God's not forgetting anything's coming against you. God sees you in your struggle. God sees you in your pain. God sees, he's not forgetting anything. And God's listening. Know that. Have peace in that. Know that when you call out to God, he shows up. It might not be how you expect him to show up, but he shows up because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants to move in and through you. So with every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to move into a time of response. God's positioned you here this morning. He's positioned you here this morning. For a purpose, for a reason. And we have this opportunity to call out to him. God is listening. God cares for you. There's some of us here that just need prayer. That we need to respond because we are going through a circumstance of uncertainty. We're going through a circumstance that you don't know how the outcome is going to go. It could go bad or it could go good. You just don't even know. And you just have uncertainty in your heart. If you're here today and you don't have certainty in your heart, and God's saying, let me give you peace in your uncertainty. I positioned you here this morning to know your position. I'm going to open up the altars and I want you to respond. Because God wants to give you peace in your uncertainty. There are people here today struggling, struggling with anxiety. You're losing sleep. You have to respond because God wants to give you peace in that. There are people here today that are sick and they need God to heal them. You need to respond because God wants to heal you. There are people in our church that we maybe you just want to come up and intercede for them, that they need God to move in their body physically or in their finances. Respond. Know who's listening. Know who you can call on. Know your position. God's positioned you this morning here for a reason. But what I don't want to happen is listen to that faint voice. Recognize it. Know who's talking. It says can't respond you don't want anyone to know what you're going through you can't respond because what will people think it's okay let them think because God wants to move in your life don't let the enemy keep you don't let the enemy keep you from receiving what God wants to do through you you might be surrounded by the presence of your enemies but God has presence that he wants to put in you So let's all stand. If you're here today, even